Well, hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Living with Power Hope podcast. I am Lena Evajemra, and it is, as usual, awesome to have you back. I've got a great guest today. Hey, listen, if you haven't checked in with us for a while, we're so happy you came. We are in the middle of talking about my new book, Fractured Faith, Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of Deconstruction. But we've got some awesome things that we've been doing with interviews with people who have walked through a difficult season in their faith and talking about how God has met them in those places. If you don't have the book by yet, you should be getting it. We're in the middle of an awesome Thursday night live Facebook series that you are invited to. You just go to Facebook, join the group. We'll have more about that at the end of the podcast. Man, we've got just fun things, really not always fun, but always meant to bless you and to strengthen you and to help you find um, what God is doing in your life, in your places of pain. And so if you're checking in and you're wondering, you know, hey, why am I going through this difficult stuff in my life? You came to the right place. Today, I've got an awesome guest. This is somebody who's been with us, but I was thinking it's been at least four or five years. And so you might not be familiar with him from this podcast, but if you listen to Moody Radio, then I know you've heard his voice. Uh, this is my own pastor, Pastor Carl Clausen, who's the morning host at WMBI 90.1 FM Chicago. Uh, man, this guy's got more energy than I do, if that's even possible. Carl, I'm so excited to have you on. Uh, there's, I want to tell people more about you. I think we'll get to some of those things in our conversation. Why don't we just welcome you on, though? How are you? I'm doing great, Lena. It's always a joy to be with you. And frankly, there is no way. That's funny because I tell people, I say, you got to meet Lena. She's the only person I know that's got more zip than me. I don't know, man. I, mean, I was looking in your, I was looking at your bio, and you're like, you, you, you still have there. This cracks me up because I think I've never heard you preach and not mention the. And I should have mentioned it. The 1100 mile. I How do you say that word? It's, it's let me help you. It's I did a rod. Okay, that's a hard word for love. Like it me. is hard. All right. But anyway, it's a long and cold and brutal dog race that you're thinking you did it at 18. And I think you're planning on doing it again soon. No, I'm not going to do the whole I did or I'd. I've got a dream of going up and grabbing one of my friend's dog teams. His name's Mitch CV. He's won it a few times and and running about a 300 mile race. I, I can't go run a thousand mile race. I don't know, I'm, man. You, I'm you might. too old now. Listen, <laughs> you're born and bred Alaska, right? This is not, you know, this is Yeah, I mean, not. I was born in Homer and, and raised up there. So it was part of my DNA and I've always been an adventure. And, you know, I only did it. I only ran it that one time. I got a lot of friends that still do it as a career, but wow. you know, Jesus transformed my heart. So I went a totally different direction. Well, and so, you know, on one hand, here you are, you've been in Chicago now. How many years, uh, Carl? Oh, goodness. It's it's coming on 10 years now. But now, interesting, because when we talked a few years ago, you were sort of relatively new in Chicago. You've been a moody couple of years, but now it feels like, in some ways, I always think of you as a Chicago guy, but oh, you am. came to Chicago under very difficult circumstances. Yeah, we did. We were sojourners. You know, when Jesus said foxes have holes, birds have nests, son of man has no place to lay his head. I always thought, well, that sounds crazy until you live the nightmare. And then you go, <laughs> whoa, this is nuts. And ours came about because we went through just like you've iterated in your book. And it's so dynamite. Listen, go get her book. But Lena, like you've outlined in your book, church pain is some of the worst pain out there. Yeah. And you were... So you weren't just in the church, you were the pastor of the church. I was. I was the lead pastor of a church in Alaska called Change Point. And God was doing, I think one of the reasons that we had a bullseye on our back, Lena, is because God was doing amazing things. When I say amazing things, I'm talking things that people would look at and say, 
I've never seen a work like this. They wow. would come in and witness what was going on. And you could feel the spirit of God was palpable, not only in the room, but in the people and in the interactions in the lobby and in the small groups. So it was rolling and uh, there was a bullseye on our back and uh, division arose and a lot of accusations were flung and it was a season filled with pain. Well, and we're seeing, I mean, right now we're living sort of in this year where there's been a lot of really podcasts right now, very public conversations about people whose churches have blown up. And of course, I, you know, my experience in Chicago is in a church that sort of had this, of course, in, in, in my case, caustic leadership and, and, and you see the toxicity at Marcel and some other churches, but, but all of these churches have one theme in common, which is how much God was at work when, when things sort of went to hell, which is sort of in a way what you're describing now in your case, though, you know, you know, it's interesting because it, we now are in this era where don't you feel a bit like the pastor is sort of to blame? Like there's a leadership fear now, there's sort of a, a hesitance to trust leadership, right? There's, you yes. see it among churchgoers. How, tell us your perspective as a pastor, because that wasn't your story at all. Well, in some ways it, you are wrong. You know, but- I want to be so careful with this. And as I was even prepping for this, Lena, the Holy Spirit laid something on my heart that I'm going to give here in just a moment. But our situation is, I think, grounded out of, uh, James five. And obviously there's parties here that would say what I'm about to say would go, well, that isn't the way it went down, but you know, such is life and conflict, right? Yeah. Um, but here's the issue. I think there's a lot there. Fighting is a result of selfish ambition. That's where you find disorder in every evil practice. Mm-hmm. James. And so there was, there was this spirit of, I want my piece of this thing. I really believe that's what was going on. Um, but this is what I want to be clear about. Although I was the point man of this work and, um, you know, there was a time at which they wanted me to stay, but we just felt like we needed to go. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was important for me to do something when I left, even though I believe to this day there's some massively undealt with issues on the other side of the equation, massive that have caused me and my wife and thousands of people a great amount of pain. This is the principle that I've come back to that my bride gave me many years ago. And that is own what you can own, no matter what side of the equation you're on. If it's 2% or 10% or 30%, own it. And I'll tell you, Lena, that's been the best thing that served my soul, knowing that the deck is clear between me and God. It actually causes you more freedom than having to point fingers. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why is it so hard for, I mean, it's even refreshing to hear you say that. I mean, because you're right. I mean, one can't go back and look at dynamics and you always think on every argument, there's two sides of the argument, although granted, there's no really website, you know, pages long of your, you know, what happened at your church, which I think is so common in some of the other situations now, but, but there is a humility. I mean, from the, from the time I've met you, there's been a couple of things, I mean, that stick out. Number one, the commonality of, of our wounds. Like I, you know, felt wounded and hurt in my church and you really were, I mean, there was a, leaving that church was heartbreaking to you and you also were personally hurt. So you were in some ways, again, I don't want to use the word victim, but when I sort of think back and you're very cautious, like I feel like a lot of it wasn't like you're, you've been very protective of going into any details, but you, you were hurt. And I think that's something we shared very much in common. 
And, and so you didn't really come to Chicago with the intent to be a pastor at all. Well, when I left Alaska, so when you come off the heels of that kind of woundedness, and yes, I did go back to each one of those that had an issue with me. And I, and I set the deck absolutely, I swept the decks clear, asking for forgiveness for anything that I'd done, which is freeing. But now, I'm, now I walk away from that. They'd ask us to stay. We walk away. And the pain that, that ensued was huge. Then be, when you leave a situation like that, oftentimes rumors now foment even more. And, and stories get bigger and get different. So we were feeling that. And we were offered and asked to go to several different churches, about seven over a period of a few years. And our pain was so deep, Lena, that we just, we had to say no to every one of them. And we stayed in ministry, but it was by the grace of God. And we, we really did more itinerant speaking and uh, jumping into pulpits where it was needed and doing some men's conferences. But the prospect of jumping back into the church, which is God's offensive weapon of war in this evil world, ironically, as imperfect mm -hmm. as it is, that was not something we wanted to do readily. We're not like, hey, let's jump back into that fire pit, right? Mm. Well, correct. And so, I mean, I want to get to that in a second. I mean, how how did you find the strength to come back into church world, not just to come back, but to lead it? But also worth mentioning, I mean, it was, it, it, what you guys went through was very different than some of the stuff we're going through in, in now publicly in that there was no really disqualification from any leadership. It was more personality issues, but significant enough that led to, uh, you know, you leaving, which yeah. is so sad. I was listening yesterday to, to a podcast that's been famous now and talking about one of the things that happened in one of the churches that blew up. And, and, and this idea, somebody even came on and was interviewed and mentioned, man, they could have made it up. Like they could have made up, like it could have been fixed, right? Like why do Christians, why are Christians so mean? Like, you, you know, and I don't mean to separate myself from all of us. Like we, why do we carry so much of that into our Christian life? Like, I, I got so an answer hurtful. for that, Lena. I got an answer Almost. for that. I think our Achilles heel is pride. Mm. I think our Achilles heel is pride. I've been I've been chewing on Andrew Murray and just enjoying the book Humility. He says a couple of things. One that sticks out in my mind. He says that humility is the birthplace of every other virtue. And he mm -hmm. says this is a loose quote. I don't have it in front of me. Something to the effect of the absence of humility is all we need to explain all the dysfunction in our lives and those we touch. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, Lena, I believe it. I believe that pride drugs Satan out of the presence of God, and it is dragging people down and churches apart. Yeah. Well, and so if you even think about like some of the leadership fallouts that have happened very publicly in the last couple of years, I mean, it, it's baffling to me how some leaders have just resisted just yeah. coming on public forums and saying like, like what you were saying before, whether you were a hundred percent or 5% in the wrong, like, Own it. It, it, yeah, it's like the humility of saying I was wrong. Like I was wrong. I'm so sorry without a if and or, but, or writing journals or tweeting 55 things like just stand by it. But it does, it takes so much humility. And so it's hard to watch that. It seems sometimes it feels like somebody's putting their, fingernails on the chalkboard and yet 
And yet it's becoming a common theme, which I think has led to my, my observation. And you can love to, to hear your thoughts on this. I think we have this, and, and I, I feel like I'm going to talk about this a lot on every interview, but I think one of the epidemics in the church right now is that we no longer trust leadership. Yeah. How do yeah. you, so I'll get to a minute how you got back into pastoring, but as a pastor now, Tell me a bit about your observation from your angle in terms of the people that are showing up in the pews, not so much just in your church, but just talking to people who have been wounded in churches. How is that translating in how the church is playing out in your leadership now as a pastor? The circle of trust for pastors, and there's empirical data on this, is has never been smaller. And the only way the circle of trust is going to grow for pastors is through proven reputation that we are people of our word. Our yes is yes. Our no is no. We handle staff well. When confronted, we repent. I don't want to go too past too quickly past what you just said. I mean, it's confounding to me too, Lena, that that just a modicum of ownership of what we've done wrong. I've, I've just, that's carried me so far. I, I credit my bride and the power of the Holy Spirit to help me do that because I had no juice in myself to do mm. that. But then, yes, the, 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 the pastorate, I think it's a hidden blessing that the trust factors uh, torpedoed because that means we've got to be like everyone else and we earn trust the hard way, the good old-fashioned way. It's <laughs> not conferred upon you just because you've been deemed a pastor. So I think that there's a blessing in that. And I think that there's a reset going on in the church and I think it's um, not all bad, Lena. How do you engage? Like, can you tell when you're leading? Like, can you tell when, when people are coming into your churches and, you know, you kind of, can you see the pain in them? Like, or do you see their guardedness? Are you seeing a difference now versus when you were a pastor, maybe early on, maybe younger? Yes, yes. Um, I don't know that it's always super visible until you get into some deeper conversations. But I, I know it's there. Uh, whether they speak it or not. And so I do everything I can to communicate process, uh, accountability, uh, fiduciary accountability, uh, decision-making process accountability, these things that have been big tripwires, right, for a lot of uh, ministries. And I try to regain things that way. But you know what? You can talk till you're blue in the face. Really only time and consistency is what builds trust in the in the faith right and and so do you do you see i talked recently i had an interview with someone who said that she herself like one, one it's interesting because on one hand she had mentioned that she hadn't been personally her faith wasn't as shook by by the wounds of a church and but but the more you heard her story the more you realized like she's taken hits and and finally at the end of the interview there was a very powerful sort of moment where she was reflective and says you know I no longer engage. I'm not involved like I used to be. And I think that's sort of a yeah. big, there's an arm's length. Like I, yeah. I, I still believe in the church. Like we're God's people. We're Bible people. We're Jesus followers. Like, so many people are still like, like we love Jesus, but, but where it's played out is it's almost like there's this belief now. And I, I don't know if it's a wrong belief. In fact, I, I want to explore that with you. This idea that you can be fully, living to your potential as a Christian without engaging the local church. Like, so now you kind of go back to one thing you said, like about how the, God wants to use the local church to influence the world. Can you influence the world without the local church? And can Christians grow to their full 
ministry capacity, you know, kingdom capacity outside of the local church or holding it at an arm's length? I don't think there's any way we can, Lena. And I'm only going from what the word says. The church is where God said, I will build it and it will prevail against hell's gates. It's the only institution he says is going to prevail against the gates of hell. Number one. Number two, the church is people. It's not a building. Uh, now, the, and right there in lies a problem. The minute you think about church, you think about a place to go rather than a people to be. We are called to be people, not go to a place. That's, that's a whole nother topic. But it's important for us to note that when we look at the church, if we don't find ourselves in relationship, the iron sharpening iron, uh, those, uh, those relationships that we are finding people that are going to take us up in our relationship with God and forward in our relationship with God, with, for which every apostle had one, every disciple had one, Jesus had them, and they're only found in the church. I don't think we can avoid it. Now, here's the problem. The church stinks up the place often. That's the bummer, Lena. But the church is requisite for growing strong and overcoming the world as we know it. I'm absolutely convinced of it. But again, I don't want to confuse the church with a building. I want to make sure that we're understanding that it's a, a grouping of Jesus followers, men and women, every nation, tribe, and tongue, no one held outside it who are going after it with Christ. Well, and so when people talk about engaging in the local church, you're right. So there's a sense like, what does that even mean? Like you're building ministries, children's ministries, parking ministries, or right. you're reaching the world. So you, you kind of want to break that down. What does it look like then to be a healthy, active church member? Yeah, right on. Thank you. Because this is a big, big soapbox for me, especially having been a pastor of a church of 5,000 and now a pastor of a church that post-COVID, we're back down to 100. And... Um, and we're in a really tough area to reach. But I've seen both sides of this thing. Here's the deal. The church can no longer look at the mechanisms of the what's become the business of this thing. Here's the problem. We've counted the wrong things. I love this book, Measure What Matters by Door, I think his name is. It's a, it's a business book, but it's got some profound insights for the church because I don't think we've been measuring what matters. We are counting noses and nickels more than we are. How many disciples are we making? Right. I'll, I'll tell you this, Lena. You get a church full of leaders like I'm trying to cultivate now, and by God's grace and by his power, we are. Um, we're committed to counting how many disciples are we making here, and are we doing it? Man, that's a game changer. Now you're caring for the souls of people, and you're becoming a shepherd more than you are a rancher. And I'll say this. The typical model in America more inclines us to be in ranchers than shepherds as pastors. Hmm. And uh, well, that's interesting because there's still, I mean, I think most Christians would sort of acknowledge that intellectually, but we still function. And I still see it. I, I, even people who have left, you know, broken places and sort of say, okay, I'm, I'm no longer in that you know category. And yet you still get a sense in the United States, this consumeristic idea that if you're not growing in size, you're not growing in health. Like there's still such a emphasis on yeah. 
on, on growth. How do you how do you stop that? How would, how do we kill that idea? And we see it play out not just in churches, but in Christian institutional. You know, whether you're a radio guy. I mean, you're a Christian yeah. radio books, yeah. publishing books coming up for you know all of these parameters of Christian growth. That like, if you're not growing, if you don't get the platform, then God must not be at work in your place. Yeah, you're right, Lena. And this is tough. Um, boy, this is a fun. This is a fun discussion. <laughs> I look at I look at Acts four, and I've said this before to people: you can't have an Acts five church until you have an Acts four church. See, I'm a pretty simple guy there, Lena. Anybody yeah. can get that. But the <laughs> Acts four church, they prayed this prayer: God, they said, give us the courage to speak the word boldly, while you stretch out your hand to do signs and wonders. Mm. I think we've left the altar of prayer as the church and we've we've left the altar of praying for god to do the ministry building we say it but we program like it's up to us and that's a tough that's a tough shift and it's because we live in such a metric world in this westernized world i do think though that like God's given me a real blessing being in some tough sledding with a church plant right now in an area that is so tough. There's churches folding tents left and right, but it's, it's great because you know what it's done, Lena, it's forced me to my face before the Lord and it couldn't be better. And I mean that in a crazy way, it couldn't be better. Well, you're, I mean, you're one of the most optimistic guys, but let's pick on you for a minute. I mean, let's go back to sort of like, also like your, your come back to, you know, I think the story just in a nutshell, like you moved back from Alaska, you sort of never done, you've never done radio. You end up like doing an AM gig on us, like your son challenges you, right? I mean, you end up in radio sort of serendipitously and then like, you're doing fine, right? I mean, so like what possesses you? to go back into pastoring specifically. I mean, you were in ministry. You had the other ministry you were doing with the uh, young knights. I mean, you've got a lot going on, but but you put yourself back in the place of your pain. Why would anybody uh, do that? I'm trying to have you not be too loud on this interview because I don't want my wife to hear that. She's You're going to hear her scream. Yeah, why did we do that? <laughs> um, so here's the deal. It's painful. It's so painful. Sometimes we have PTSD triggers. Isn't Mm. that weird? Yeah. Um, But it's, here's the problem, Lena. When it's your calling, where else are you going to go? Right? I mean, it's imperfect and it stinks. And it's not an addiction. I was loving being away from it. Yeah. But man, when, when it's burning inside you, you got to go back and, you know, it takes time. And this is where I can sympathize with someone who's never been a pastor, but has been burned by a church. I will tell you this. I've had plenty of Sundays when the last place I wanted to be is inside a building meeting with other Jesus followers. I didn't want to be around them at all. Not at all. I wanted to be as far away from that as I could possibly be. But here's what God's done. Over a period of time, he's restored a sense of health and vitality in myself and my bride and other people, even family members to a lesser degree, but they're on the road. And, and he's, giving us, he's giving us belief. It takes time. I'm going to be really candid with you. Four years plus we've been doing this church plant, even through a year of COVID. And 
we felt like my, my bride and I have said this, it feels, and I call her my bride. We've been married 34 years. I don't want people to mm-hmm. think I swept this woman off her feet here. Um, we've been saying for four years, it's felt like we're pedaling uphill in our prayers and battling and, and coming away from services going, wow, that's brutal. And, uh, but you know what? We've crested a hill in these last two months and it's weird, Lena, but man, I'll tell you what, if you keep believing that one day God will give you a breakthrough to fall in love for the thing he loves, he will, he'll give it to you. He will. You know, one of the things I talk about in the book, and and I know that you you and I have talked a bit, like I did get counseling help. I went to see a therapist after that mess. Discuss a bit about that. Can Christians get better without therapy? I mean, I think obviously the answer is they should be able to. But so talk about that tension. Maybe somebody can't afford a therapist and, and is going through some deep pain and, you know, needing to work through it, not knowing where to turn, especially if they have been wounded by the church. So now you're not in a place where you can get help at the church. Like, what do you do in that situation? You know, the front page response to your question is you can't get better without therapy. If therapy means truth encounters with someone wiser that can speak into your situation for which you can't see all the details. If that's what therapy is, you can't get better without it. Now, sometimes you pay for it. And and quite candidly, my bride and I have benefited hugely from having a couple that we hired as as coaches into our life. And it's been awesome. And now, and we had to sacrifice to pay for it, but it's been awesome because whether it's coaches, counselor, mentor, someone older, wiser, someone that's been got the t-shirt shop, you know, all that stuff, you got to hit your wagon to someone that has the objective eyes to see what you can't see and that can help walk you through it that we have to have. And that's everywhere in scripture. So no, if, if that's therapy, you got to have therapy. Where do people find that if they are yeah. in a culture like ours, where they're super isolated and they've just walked away from their church? You're going to have to get on your knees and beg God to put them in your peripheral view somehow, and he will. I do not believe that God will leave you alone. I don't believe he plays games. I don't believe God is trying to torment anyone. I don't. And my theology is that you ask, you seek, you not, God's going to deliver. I don't think if you're going through a trial of the pain of church hurt, I don't believe James is lying. That if you lack wisdom for getting through this trial, let him ask God and it'll be given to him. I think, I think God actually delivers on those. Mm-hmm. Is it now? Maybe. Is it next month? Next year? Probably. But pray and then keep your head on a swivel and look. And I would go through the Rolodex of wise people that have survived and live in the church and haven't been jaundiced to the point. You don't want to get people around you that are like, I'm out on the church. You, that's not wise counsel. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got to get their own wise counsel. I'm adamant on this one, Lena, because I've lived it. Yeah. But you've got to grab people around you on your knees, grab people or find one person to hit your wagon to that still has a belief system in the church, but has survived pain and say, will you walk with me? You've got to ask for help though, Lena. 
Well, I agree. I mean, I think I think I make the point in the book in multiple places. I just read the audio again, so I'm sort of up to speed on everything that I read. Oh, that's great. Well, a, a couple well, a couple of times I, I make the point, and I, I think this comes out in the book, that the very system that sort of derailed me, you know, which said, I don't want to call the church a system, but I mean, use that. I, I, no, I, yeah, it's a great The very word. system that, that derailed me was ended up being the system that sort of God used to bring me back to, to you know, sort of to help me to yes. awaken back to, which I think is interesting because our tendency, if we've been hurt by the church, is to be like, oh, I'm never going to go to another church again. And so you go, well, where are you going to find these Christians? Right. And so there's almost this counterintuitive where you almost have to be like, well, no, lean into the church. And, and that doesn't mean you walk in and expect, again, this miracle of someone showing up. In fact, I showed up, you know, for the first year and a half, I mean, I showed up and, and, didn't yep. really talk to anybody and it wasn't at your church before a couple other churches. And then sure. lo and behold, as, as I was praying, you, you know, I remember when you had, I had heard about you um, at the church I was going at the time. And then you had preached once and I connected like the spirit, you know, sort of connected with whatever yeah. you were saying. Yes. And then that following week you were starting the launch. And so I thought, well, it's a chance to start fresh. Now I look back and I think, man, that was such a God move because I didn't know you from Adam. I didn't listen to movie radio right. in the mornings. I worked, you know, Right. You just illustrated the point, Lena. I believe that when, and I believe some people say, well, I can't pray. Let me give you some encouragement. The Holy Spirit's praying when all you can do is groan. Right. It's okay. Right. Groan away because the Holy Spirit loves you. You haven't been unsealed. You haven't been, you, right. you haven't been snatched from the hand of God. He still got you. Just keep believing that God is going to come through. And, and frankly, he will. This doesn't mean that you have to believe everything's rosy in the church again. Now you're going to walk in with your eyes wide open and you know, with a whole lot more wisdom. Well, and a couple of things to that. I mean, how, what should like, so I even now I'm talking to you and I'm thinking of multiple faces of people that I know and love who love the Lord deeply and are still in the word and still growing but it's like they still, since the church wounds that they've endured, legitimate stuff that's gone ha down in their life, like they just, they just struggle to find a church where they feel like it's home. And so they're just sort of living their life sort of aware of the fact that they need to be in a church, but they're not. And, and, and you know, granted, the church, the global church, we're part of the body of Christ. And so they sort of justify it. They visit here and there. What should a person look for in a church or how do you finally find one and go, man, I'm, I'm just going to stick it out. Like, what are the parameters that are, that we need to look for if we're in that space of saying, well, I, do you just find any church? Are there any things, you know, two or three things that are, that we must look for in a church or, or is it okay to float around for a while? I think floating around, if floating around is with intentionality that you're saying, God guide me. I think that's very, I think that's prudent. But I think if what you're looking for while you're floating around is, and I really mean this, Lena, a, a spirit of humility, we, we can't afford to be, by the way, this notion that the church, there was a time when it was kind of hip and groovy in America to be a Christian. Yeah. That's going bye-bye fast. So I think the day of uh, kind of, trying to find that church that's got that it factor. The it factor needs to change in your mind's eye. It can't even be, um, is there, it can't be, oh, do I love the worship that they provide? Right. Um, or it can't even be, do they, do they teach the word well? 
and some of you might be saying, well, what do you mean? You know, yeah, those are great, but there's a, there's a far better metric. And that is, do I see a spirit of humility and deference here? Because if you see that you're in a lot better place um, than you could ever possibly imagine. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, this is, this is good. Why don't we talk a little as we come even towards, I mean, uh, you know, I want to wrap up with some thoughts that, and I think you have a lot of thoughts on this topic, but talk a bit about something we just glimmered over a second ago. You talked about signs and wonders. I want to talk about the Holy spirit for a minute. Yeah. I love this. I mean, I mean, first of all, I think God is grieved. I would imagine by what's happening in the American church right now. And, it's so sad to me, and but I, I think there's, you know, so 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 where's the Holy Spirit in the church right now? And specifically, you know, we think about those signs and wonders and praying for, you know, one of the chapters even in my book, I talk about seeing God and what yeah. Americans would describe as breakthrough. You know, talk more about that. What does it look like to see? What are signs and wonders in our day and age? Do we ask too much if we ask God for signs and wonders? At what point do we? Do we have to let that go and pray for salvations? I don't know. I mean, I wrestle with that a bit in my own life. You know, A, part one is where's the Holy Spirit right now in the American church? And B, why aren't we seeing more signs and wonders? Is that to come? Or it, should we be praying for more of that? Great questions, Lena. First, let me say this. I did a deep dive on the power of the Holy Spirit only because I was reading a guy named Watchman Nee who wrote Release of the Spirit. And I thought, man. This is, I've never heard this before. And I came to this startling understanding that probably because of so many abuses, the stuff you see on TV and people fleecing people and how the Holy Spirit was actually um, almost used as a genie, that I think some, some teachers and churches and denominations have kind of veered clear of that. But the Holy Spirit is God and he is here, even right now. He's here. Hmm. He's not some thing out there that we, oh, should we, should we go dabble over there? What if we start talking funny? You know, all that stuff. Um, no, here's what's amazing about the Holy Spirit. Dawned on me one day when I was studying in John chapter three. The Holy Spirit is the only one that transforms lives, period. Jesus can't lead anyone to Jesus. And when I stumbled on that reality, I'm like, whoa, you got to be kidding me. On top of that, Lena, the Holy Spirit is the only one that convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit's the only one who guides us into all truth. And Jesus himself said, it is to your advantage that I go to all the people that go, what would Jesus do? Jesus would say, don't, wrong question. What's the Holy Spirit telling you to do? That's what Jesus would say. Forget the WWJD. That's old. Because Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go so the Holy Spirit will come and he will guide you into all truth. You're getting, you just hit a hot button for me because this is huge. I don't believe we've given the Holy Spirit the room to work in our yeah. churches the way we need to, Lena. Right, I agree. So signs and wonders, I don't know. Um, I will say this. Um, we had a service on Sunday that was uh, just worship interspersed with teaching, worship, teaching, worship, teaching. And uh, I saw signs and wonders. I saw people um, probably, oh, goodness, a third of the audience. And we had one of our stronger Sundays was, was um, going to the walls to get prayed with people, many of whom 
have never ever prayed with anyone before in their life for release and confession of sin. That's signs and wonders to me, Lena. Mm -hmm. That's right. I agree with that. That's humbling, and and it's um, and I, th I think most God following Jesus loving people hunger for more of that. I and so too. where do you position yourself to see more of that? And I think that's again, where you kind of go back to, well, you need the local church, you know, can God do it without the local church? I guess he could do it individually. I mean, there was a guy on the road to, you know, Philip and the eunuch. I mean, you hear see yep. stories like that. So God is not restricted to the church, but by and large, the movement of his spirit in the new Testament is in the context of gatherings of believers praying together I mean, for one thing today, I mean, if you're in Chicago and you're listening, you, you, you're invited. I mean, Carl, I would, I, I would venture to say you would love to have people come sure. to, to our church. I mean, what? so that's one option. So we're inviting you, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And you know what? Here's the good thing about getting a little bit older in life is that when you've, when you've been to the mountaintop and you, you saw it and then you've been to the bottom, you really become way more of a team player. Look, I really just want to, I want to reach Chicago to the glory of God. I want to have a front row seat in an awakening. I, I really do. And I know that's in God's will. I don't have to ask God, is it your will that I could have a front row seat at a spiritual awakening? I don't have to ask if that's his will. I know he wants me to have a front row seat in an awakening. Mm -hmm. So that's all I want. If, if you land at 180 Chicago, great, but land somewhere that you can put your soul into and um, let the circles of trust grow slowly and right. watch it happen. Yeah. One, one of the biggest gifts I felt like you've been to me as a pastor is like, and I, I think this is a gift of the Holy spirit. Like you, you're discerning, basically you, um, you don't press. Like I've never felt like you're like, you, you know, you sort of, you've given me a lot of room to breathe. And I think that's yeah. a gift in order to, you know, not feel pressured by pastor to whether it's to show up or to get engaged, but yet to have that balance with feeling loved and wanted. And I think you do that incredibly well. I, I really am grateful for that. Well, that's encouraging, Lena. And, and that's that's a super that's a really encouraging thing to do, because I am one of many pastors that went through season in my life. Mine was a long time ago when the numbers mattered a bunch and sometimes too much. But I um, do I still get those flutters in my heart at times? Yeah, but you'd be amazed, Lena. I am 98% free of those attacks. And I genuinely look at that person in front of me and go, let's go with Jesus. Hmm. Well, that's, uh, I'm telling you, I mean, that's, I get you. I think that's the t that's it right there. People who have gone through painful experiences. So like, I think you have such an amount of empathy and I'm not the only one who has landed in your church who maybe has been out of a, of, of a place that goes oh, yeah. through pain. And, and I think we can all, you know, sort of, you know, nod our heads and be like, yeah, I mean, you get it. And I think yeah. if, if sometimes pain serves that purpose, which is just to give us a lot of empathy with others. Let's end with one question here that I thought just bringing it kind of close to home practically for you. What are some of the things you do yourself to stay aware of God's presence? You mentioned a second ago, the Holy Spirit is here with us. Like, like we forget that, like we get so caught up in our day. What do you do practically to, to remember to, the presence of God and live in awareness of him? That's really a great question. Lena, this is fun. <laughs> this is this is very important. 
And I'm going to give you a word that's being used in our secular world today heavily. They just don't know what to plug in when they get there. It's the word mindfulness. I preached a message one time on the Holy Spirit. and I was talking about being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, being aware of the Holy Spirit. And a woman came up to me after the service and she said, I think I think that word mindfulness is what you're looking for. And I'm going to leave that with you, Lena, and to those of you that are listening, that it's worked for me. What do I mean worked? I am mindful of the power of the Holy Spirit because I'm reminding myself to be mindful of the Holy Spirit. I know that sounds crazy, but it's really true. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit to make me mindful of his constant presence. Lena, it's the craziest thing. God is making me mindful of how to serve my wife. Hmm. Not all the time. Sometimes I'll get down the road in a day a little bit and I'll, and he'll, the Holy Spirit will go, Hey, and he'll like, uh, we got to clean up on aisle four back here. So I go back and clean that up and then he'll tell me what to do. I'll be on radio and the Holy Spirit will say, I want you to open up this direction. I'll be, you name it, in a meeting in the Holy Spirit. I'm my, if I'm mindful, the Holy Spirit is prompting me with things. And by the way, it's always less of me, more of him, mm. always. He, God's never, the Holy Spirit's never going to say, all right, man, I'm going to show your juice now. No, <laughs> God, God never does that. But the Holy Spirit always says less of you, more of me. All right, right, here we go. And, and I'm telling you, Lena. It's one of the most exciting adventures in the world to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. It's flat out amazing. That's great. Well, listen, I always love having you on the show. I always feel like I talk slower or faster. I don't know. Maybe we think of both. Who thinks I talk faster when Pastor Carl is on with me? I don't know. But it's been fun to have you here. And, um, you know, I look forward to seeing you next Sunday. And in the meantime... Uh, any last words? I'm just yeah, I got a last word. I want to talk. I want to brag about Lena for a second. <laughs> so here you go. Um, this is in First Corinthians 16. And Lena, you are an unbelievably gifted young lady. And this is what I think about when I think about your life. Paul Paul wrote this to Corinth from Ephesus. He says, "I'm going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost." For a wide door for effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Hmm. And I, when I read that one day, I thought, oh, my goodness. So he's going to stay on an Ephesus because a wide door for effective work is open to me, comma, wish this part wasn't there, and there are many adversaries. Lena, you're doing good work, sister. You really are. I'm proud of you. You, uh, you've come through pain, you're soldiering on. You know what I love most is you, you aren't being the victim. You are being the victor in Christ. And all I'm gonna tell you is, I know that you've got effective work in front of you and there are many adversaries. Mm -hmm. So press on my sister. I appreciate that. You know, Irina can always edit it out if we didn't like it. So there was no risk with that. No, that's easy. That's good. That's good. We appreciate it. And that's the truth for anybody listening right now. Man, listen, this the verse that Carl read applies to so many of us. We, you know, if you're walking down the path, you're following the Lord, don't be surprised that there are difficulties. And so and that's what we're here for. We want you to find hope in Christ. And so if you've been listening before, we'd love for you to, to give us a uh, review on the podcast. That way more people can get to listen to it. Hey, if you want free resources, check out our app, the Living With Power app, or go to our website, livingwithpower.org. 
Uh, I have every week of these interviews with Fractured Faith. I'm giving away a free copy of my book. So go ahead and email me, lena at livingwithpower.org. And on Thursday nights, again, your invitation to join us to the Facebook community group. You'll find the invitation on our website, the livingwithpower.org website. Um, right at the top of the page, click join our community. Hey, I uh, can't wait to see you live. Otherwise, I'll see you again next week. Have a great day.